We are glad you folks are here. I know it's been very difficult for many of you to get here because of the traffic situation and the accidents and everything out there, but we're glad you're here and here safely, and we will certainly pray for those who've been involved in these accidents around our area tonight and pray that everyone is okay in that. The book of James, if you will turn to he, uh, James chapter 1, James chapter 1. I don't want to spend a lot of time tonight dealing with introductory matters, but I will say this, and then we'll jump into it. The book of James is written by the brother of Jesus Christ, meaning that this man who wrote this book grew up in the home of Joseph and Mary and knew Jesus Christ during his childhood, obviously better than anyone else did. And one of the greatest testimonies to the deity of Jesus Christ and to the fact that he really is the Son of God is when one of his brothers says, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason why that's a tremendous testimony is because James is saying that there is nothing I ever saw Jesus do, there is nothing I heard Jesus ever say, there's nothing ever in all my years spending each day with Jesus that he ever did anything that would prevent me from now coming to a point where I have come to believe that he truly is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This isn't just eyewitness testimony. This is everyday testimony of who Jesus Christ was. Now, James obviously didn't always believe in Jesus. In fact, we can identify with James, many of us, because there was a time in his life where he was a skeptical brother. He didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, was the Son of God. But then there was that moment when he met the risen Christ... And he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And then after becoming a believer, he became, in verse 1, a servant or slave of Jesus Christ. And his life was spent serving him. And then we even get to Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul says that James became a very pillar in the early church. In fact, James was, I believe, the pastor at the church at Jerusalem and had a tremendous ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of his life. This is who wrote the book from a human perspective. There's a lot of reasons why people like the book of James. In fact, when I mentioned that James was going to be the book that we studied, I had a lot of people, oh, I love that book. And I think one of the reasons why people like the book of James is because it's so practical. It really hits not on one theme like a lot of books do. It's varied in its themes. It's varied in its focus. And yet it's so practical, it's dealing with with what we call the nuts and bolts of Christianity, with, with the everyday things that you and I struggle with and deal with throughout our lives. And I think that's why people are drawn to the book of James, because it's so practical. But I think there's another reason why we need to study the book of James. Because James writes about what I call a radical Christianity. A Christianity on a whole different plane than the plane that most of us as Christians live on most of the time. And the reason why he wrote this book primarily 
And writing about a radical Christianity is because he is saying to us, first of all, this radical Christianity, to us it's radical, but it's very possible for any of us to live at this level because we can be enabled to live at this level through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And so what he's writing about here is not impossible, it's very possible, not in our own strength, but in the strength that God supplies. And the reason why this is so important is because the level of Christianity that James is writing about here in this letter is really a level of Christianity that's only going to continue to make us as Christians stronger to be able to meet the demands that life brings on us throughout our life. You see, in a sense, God is saying, if you and I just allow God to work in our lives, it's going to be to our own benefit. God is going to strengthen us And then when these things come into our life, we're going to be able to to meet them head on and, and overcome them and conquer them and see victory in our life rather than defeat. In fact, one of the axioms we could start out the book of James with would be this. James is going to tell us throughout the study of the book of James that we as a Christian should never pray for an easy life but to be a stronger person. Because God is not always going to remove the obstacles. God is not going to necessarily always make life easy. And being a Christian and being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ is not going to be easy. It's going to be a tremendous challenge. But if we continue to grow, we are then going to build a foundation within our lives to meet the demands that life brings upon us. And sometimes we don't even see those things coming, as we're going to talk about tonight. This book in verse 1 was written to, I believe, Jewish Christians who were living outside the area of Palestine. And James is writing again to say, I know that this is sort of the level of Christianity that we're in, but God has a whole other level up here for us as Christians to experience. And James, I think, is saying to all of us through this study throughout this semester, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Now, I'm going to use an illustration. I used this Sunday, but it really does apply to what we're talking about. And I really thank the Olympics and Michael Phelps for giving me some great illustrations here lately. I could stand up here tonight, and in all truthfulness, I could say, I swim, and Michael Phelps could say, I swim. And we all know that even though both of us would say we swim, that Michael Phelps swims at a whole other level than Jeff Royce can swim at. But it's, we're both telling the truth. We both can swim. I want you to keep that in mind throughout our study of the book of James. Because hopefully everyone in this room tonight could say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's great. We are so excited that you are our brothers and sisters and we are brothers and sisters together in Christ but James is going to remind us about a whole other level of Christianity up here that he wants us to reach out to and allow God to bring us to that level again for our own benefit for our own benefit because if we're willing to allow God to bring us to that level we're going to be stronger than we ever imagined we could be We're going to be able to meet the challenges of life that we never thought we could. We're going to be able to go beyond what we ever thought we could do and accomplish things for God that we never thought we could. 
Not in our own power, but in the strength that God supplies. That's why James just dives right into it and gets radical. Right out of the box. Notice verse 2. My brothers and sisters, he's including himself in this. This isn't like him, you know, speaking down to them or, you know, preaching at them. This is James saying, we're all in this together, guys, and here's this radical Christianity I want to talk to you about. Consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. That's pretty radical. Because most of us as Christians are praying for God to take away the trial. Most of us only rejoice when the trials are taken away or when God takes us around the trials. But James here is being really radical. He says, guys, I want you to allow God to grow you to the point where you can look a trial in the eye and you can rejoice, not for the trial, but you can rejoice in it because of what God is going to do through it. And James is going to talk more about that. That's why I said earlier that we as Christians have to begin to pray not for an easy life, but to be a stronger person. God wants to strengthen us. And one of the ways that we can be strengthened like no other way is when he takes us through the trial. Not around the trial. Not taking the trial out, but taking us through the trial and he wants us to have this attitude right up front that when trials come and I'm not going to know most of the time when these trials come that's why James even uses the language fall into trials because I don't always see it coming in fact most of the time I don't see these trials coming in my life ahead of time and notice that these trials we as human beings go through are varied as varied as there are human beings out there that's why he uses the word various trials And what may be a trial for you is not a trial for me. What may be a trial for me is not a trial for you. But James says, here's the most important thing, that you and I have to allow God to grow us to the point where we can look trials in the face and we can rejoice in them. And notice he says, consider it all joy, full joy, unmixed joy, so that it's not, well, I'm 75% joyful in this trial, but 25% I'm grieving, I'm complaining, I'm, you know... No, it's consider it all joy. A long time ago, a man of God shared this thought with me, stuck with me all my Christian life. He said, it's your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude. It is your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude and James here is saying I want you as a Christian to allow God to take you to a place where you can have the right attitude in facing the trials of life and the right attitude for a growing maturing Christian is to rejoice fully in the trial I am not rejoicing for it, but I'm rejoicing in it because I know what God is doing through it. There's a lot of times in our life where God doesn't tell us why. But in this instance, in the book of James, 
God goes on through James to even tell us why we should rejoice even in the face of trials as they hit us throughout life. Because you know, verse 3, and that's important. That's why we have to be in the Word of God. That's why we have to read the Bible and study the Bible because God wants His children to know certain things in order for them to better navigate life. That's why we encourage people, get into Bible studies, get into the Word and grow because God has things for you and I to know that's only going to benefit us. And James is saying, if you truly know that the testing of your faith is producing endurance. In other words, the reason I can rejoice in a trial is because I know this trial is not purposeless ever. That God, if I have the right attitude in looking at this trial and in a sense attacking this trial, that that God can produce some unbelievable things in my life and that this trial was never meant to defeat me, but actually to strengthen me, to make me a stronger person not only now, but then to enable me to meet all the demands of life that are yet to come. And that's what God wants to do. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Cool thing. I believe James is saying that you can test faith all you want to. You can, you can literally heat the furnace up around faith all you want to. And where there is genuine faith, you cannot kill it. You cannot destroy it. You, you can't do anything to genuine faith. When it is there, the furnace of trials can heat up as high as they can go, and faith will always withstand every trial in life. And out of that genuine faith, there will be a staying power, a spiritual stamina and strength that is brought into our being that causes us to be strong people to meet the challenges of life. And this message is really important for Christians who are alive today because the days in which we live, as we've already talked about in other semesters of the mind, present unique challenges to us as Christians. And it's not something that we should fear or shrink back from, but something that in the power of God we should stand up to and realize that God has given me everything I need to be strong and to be Jesus strong and to be able to meet the demands that life has for me. That's why I can rejoice in my trials. Because I know that if I have the right attitude as I face this trial, God's going to produce unbelievable things in my life. And this trial was never meant to stop me, to defeat me, or to discourage me, but to strengthen me. Let me go take you back, keep your finger in James, and let's go back to a story that it doesn't matter how many times I read it, I just... Love this story. In the book of Daniel, chapter 3. Daniel, chapter 3. This is a story of these three Jewish young men. I'm just going to read most of it, but I want you to, as you read this in your Bible, remind yourself of the verse we just read about the testing of our faith produces endurance and perseverance and that it doesn't matter how hot the furnace of our life gets that if there's genuine faith there it cannot be killed it cannot be destroyed 
King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had built this idol, told everybody they needed to bow down to it. These three Jewish young men refused to bow down to it. I pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a fit of rage, demanded that they bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him. So they brought them before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods and that you don't pay homage to the golden statue that I erected? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, trigon, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must bow down and pay homage to the statue that I had made. If you don't pay homage to it, you will immediately be thrown into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. Now, what is that God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to give you a reply concerning this. If our God whom we are serving exists, he's able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will rescue us, O king, from your power as well. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, and we will not pay homage to the golden statue that you've erected. Wow. If I could only be like that. That's a bold witness. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and his disposition changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it was normally heated. He ordered strong soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So those men were tied up while still wearing their cloaks, trousers, turbans, and other clothes and were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so excessively hot... The men who escorted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were killed by the leaping flames. But those three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the furnace of blazing fire while still securely bound. Then Nebuchadnezzar was startled and quickly got up. He said to his ministers, wasn't it three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? And they replied to the king, for sure, O king. He answered, but I see four men untied and walking around in the midst of the fire. No harm has come to them, and the appearance of the fourth is like that of a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He called out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego emerged from the fire. Once the satraps, prefects, governors, and ministers of the king had gathered around, they saw that those men were physically unharmed by the fire. The hair of their heads was not singed, nor were their trousers damaged. Not even the smell of fire was to be found on them. That story illustrates for us a lot of things, but one of the things it illustrates is where there is genuine faith, You can heat up the furnace of affliction and suffering and trial all around it as hot as you want. You can't kill genuine faith. In fact, all you can do when the hot trials come and the furnace is heated up is actually purify the faith and get rid of all the defects and all the impurities of our faith and all the things in our life that should not be there. That's what the trial can do. It only strengthens what should be there and only takes away what shouldn't be there. And that's why God allows trials to come into the lives of his children. That's why James could say, here's the kind of radical Christianity that we're talking about. Where we can grow as a Christian to the point where when a trial falls into our lap and we weren't even expecting it, that we can rejoice 
Because that we know that somehow God can use this. If I just keep my attitude where it needs to be, that God can use this to make such a difference in my life. To make me such a stronger person. Tests are never given for us to pass out, but to pass. And that's exactly what the testing of our faith is all about. And notice back in James chapter 1 verse 3, the testing of our faith produces endurance. That doesn't mean a grim resignation. That doesn't mean a grin and bear it attitude. That doesn't mean a fatalistic, well, whatever happens, happens. That may be the way we define endurance in our English language, but the way this word is defined in the Bible is endurance is being able to meet whatever comes my way, including trials, with a triumphant, victorious resolve. That, that I, don't, I don't allow this trial to back me down or to keep me from moving forward, but I actually say at that moment, besides rejoicing, bring it on, Lord, bring it on, because through this, if I keep my eyes focused on you and I keep relying on the power of the Holy Spirit and I keep my attitude where it needs to be, that God, you are going to use this to do tremendous things in my life. So, Lord, bring it on. That's what endurance is. The testing of your faith produces endurance. Tonight I want to just take a few moments and share with you some stories of some folks that some of you have heard of, some of you haven't, but people who have impacted my life through the years by their own personal testimony of how through the power of God they had their faith tested and through that testing they became a stronger person. Probably the most famous or one of the most famous, Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you have known the story of Johnny Johnny and Friends, she has her own five-minute radio spot on Christian radio. She's written over 35 books. She had a movie made about her. Johnny Erickson Tata writes, On one hot July afternoon in 1967, I dove into a shallow lake and my life changed forever. I suffered a spinal cord fracture that left me paralyzed from the neck down without use of my hands and legs. Lying in my hospital bed, I tried desperately to make sense of the horrible turn of events. I begged friends to assist me in suicide, slit my wrist, dump pills down my throat, anything to end my misery. Then a friend introduced me to Jesus Christ. I learned that God had many purposes for my paralysis, one of those being to turn a stubborn teenage young lady into a woman who would reflect patience, endurance, and a lively, optimistic hope of the heavenly glories above. My wheelchair used to symbolize alienation and confinement, but God has changed its meaning because I have trusted in him. Now my wheelchair symbolizes independence. It is a choice I made and one that anyone can make. I live with the heightened awareness that better things are coming. The good things in this life are only a foreshadowing of more glorious, grand things in heaven. And we would say to that, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I want to tell you about the story of a woman named Bernadette Todd. Doctors once told Bernadette Todd that she would not live past the age of eight due to an infantile form of muscular dystrophy. But God had other plans for this remarkable lady. 
In the face of a daunting childhood plagued with physical pain, being the target of relentless ridicule and personal ostracism, Bernadette pushed back against seemingly insurmountable obstacles and emerged triumphant. Today, despite severe muscle weakness and being confined to a wheelchair, Bernadette is very much alive and influences others to look beyond their circumstances to God. She is a wife and homemaker and travels the U.S. and abroad sharing her personal story of hope. Her message is based on the first-hand knowledge that God uses our darkest days to draw us closer to Him and ultimately create beauty. And we would say to her story, the trial of our faith is producing endurance. Few individuals have felt the crushing blows that have besieged David Ring since birth. He was born to lose. On October 28, 1953, in Jonesboro, Arkansas, David was born with cerebral palsy. Orphaned at age 14, he was cast about from family to family with nowhere to call home. He endured constant physical pain, humiliating public ridicule, and constant discouragement. Yet in the face of these seemingly insurmountable obstacles, David emerged not victimized, but victorious. Life was worse than hopeless to him until he, re- he built a relationship or began a relationship with Jesus Christ, who taught him self-respect and acceptance of his physical challenges. To most, physical challenges of this magnitude would prove to be a tombstone. For David Ring, this coming of age was and remains a milestone. As he travels around the world, he always focuses on individuals' need to conquer the personal challenges and adversities of life. In fact, he starts every talk with this challenge. My name is David Ring. I have cerebral palsy. What's your problem? And then finally, a young man that has made quite an impact on my life and one that I can say with great honor and privilege that I can call him also a personal friend, our very own Chris Simning, who spoke here at Cornerstone many times and who speaks at Camber on Thursday evenings. Chris Simning, founder of Obscure Ministries, was diagnosed with a rare muscle and nerve disease in the eighth grade, changing his appearance, speech, and affecting the way he walks. Chris has a passion to encourage people to persevere in their faith with Jesus Christ while seeking his provisions and having a willingness to be used despite the brokenness one experiences. And the reason these folks and maybe some of you and the people that you know and many others throughout history have been able to meet the trials of life triumphantly is because when their faith was tested, it was genuine faith and nothing could kill it. It could only make them stronger and it produced an endurance in their life that we don't see in many, many people. And they are stronger, stronger because of what they have went through and because they were willing to face what they were going through with the right attitude and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice also back in James chapter 1 verse 4 that James says, and guys and gals, we've got to let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. He's saying we've got to, we've got to let this endurance in a sense, come full term 
you gals who've carried babies, like Jessica up here tonight on the platform, can appreciate this concept. James is saying, certainly babies can be born premature, and especially with the technology that we have today, preemies have a much better chance of, of staying alive and growing and living a normal life and all of that. But when a preemie's born, the, their development isn't there yet because they weren't taken to full term. They need to develop a little bit more. That's what James is saying to us when he says, let endurance come to full term. Let whatever God wants to do in your life come to full term and don't try to wiggle out and squirm out of it, but, but stay there and let God truly bring that to full term so that you get the best benefit out of what you're going through when you go through it so that it can produce a spiritual maturity. That's what the word perfection simply means. It doesn't mean that we're going to get to the point where we are sinlessly perfect, but again, James here is talking about spiritual maturity and growth. That's what we're aiming for for as Christians. That's what this radical Christianity is all about. That's what Pastor Lynn was talking about Sunday, about having people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and who truly want to live Christ-centered lives and who want to walk, you know, through that journey and onward up into that journey with God. That's what James is talking about. Not only is it going to produce spiritual maturity, but notice the word complete there in verse 4 simply means whole, not, not in part, but in whole. Meaning that when God works in our life, he, he wants every part of us. And, and, and there's parts of our lives that need to be turned over and surrendered to God. And sometimes through trials, we finally get to the point where we're willing to surrender that area to God. And, and we're surrendering that part of our life to God. And, and God wants all of us. And sometimes, even as Christians, we're so reluctant to give God every part and just totally surrender and say, God, I'm all yours. And that's what James is talking about. That's the kind of benefit and advantages that trials can be in our life. That's why James says, I can look at a trial and I can rejoice in it because of the advantages that it's producing in my life. And I know this, that even if I can't figure out always why I'm going through what I'm going through I know that nothing is ever purposeless in my life as a child of God and that God is not allowing it to defeat me or to discourage me but if I keep the right attitude to strengthen me and to bring me to a whole other level in my walk with him now James does say this in verse 5 He says, there may be times where we go through these trials and we really do need God's insight and understanding about what we're going through. He invites us to ask God for wisdom to be able to have that insight and that understanding and that perspective from God's point of view. In fact, I don't think it's a matter of if I need God's wisdom I think verse 5 is really saying we all need God's wisdom. It's a matter of are we figuring out we need God's wisdom or not. And if we get to the point where we know we need God's wisdom in order to navigate life, and especially when we're going through trials, he invites us, he says, ask God. And God will generously give us all the wisdom that we need in order to gain a deeper insight and understanding into what we're going through and maybe why we're going through it. 
want to stop here for a moment. Sometimes we have to stop and define some things. I want to define wisdom. Sometimes when we think about wisdom from an earthly standpoint, we think about intellect. We think about IQ. That's not the way the Bible uses the idea of wisdom. Listen, we have people throughout history who had some of the highest IQs that's ever been seen, and their life is a mess. Wisdom in the Bible is the skill of living life. And sometimes people who have it up here can't live life on a practical level the way God wants them to live. Because it's not just about smarts. It's about insight and understanding into life that only God can give us. That's God's wisdom. And so God invites us, ask for it. Notice he says in verse 5, God will give it to everyone who asks and give it generously. And he won't reprimand us when we come to him. He won't say, Jeff, you idiot, you should have known this anyway. No, he's like, Jeff, thanks for coming. Here, I'm going to give you some of my wisdom. But there is a condition, verse 6, 7, and 8. And it goes back to this whole idea of faith. No wonder Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Because he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a double-minded individual, unstable in all his ways. Now, first of all, James is not saying that a human being, a a Christian, even a committed Christian, is not going to have any doubts in their life. What he is saying is this. The doubts that he's talking about here in this passage, I believe, is this. It's not a doubt that God can give me this insight. It's not a doubt that God wants to give me this insight. It's really a doubt on my part of whether I really want it or not. And God knows. You see, and God's not going to give his wisdom, his insight, and his understanding to someone who he sees into their heart and knows they're really not going to listen to what I'm going to tell them anyway, and they're not going to apply it to their life, so I'm not giving it to them. It's like the Christian who says, God, I'm going to ask you what your insight is on this, and I'm going to get four or five other opinions, and if I like yours best, then I'll follow it. God says, don't expect Me to give you wisdom when you come to me with that kind of attitude. The kind of attitude that God wants us to come to, especially in trials when we're asking for wisdom, is that desperation of saying, God, I want whatever you're willing to give me, and whatever you give me, I'm going to obey. Then the Bible says he'll give it to you. Because he talks in verse 8 about a double-minded, double-souled person. A person who's unstable in all his ways. And he's really talking about a person who's not really sure of their commitment. Yeah, God, I want to serve you, and I sort of got one foot in in walking with you, but then I got one foot over here in the world, and I still like to live my worldly life, and I still like to do what I want to do all the time, too, and I'm trying to, and God says, no, no, no. 
It, it's got to come to a point where you're serious, you're, you're devoted, you're committed. And when you ask me for wisdom, I will certainly give it to you. But I've got to see in your mind that you're not going to compare my wisdom with other people's wisdom and say if you like their wisdom better, that you're going to take their advice over mine. It's got to come to a point where you and I are desperate for God, we are seeking God, and we are saying to God, God, if you give me this insight, whatever you're telling me to do, I'll do it. Then God says, I'll be very generous with my wisdom. I'll give you everything you need. I think that's why Johnny Erickson Tata is where she is right now in her life. I think that's why Bernadette Todd is where she is in life. I think that's why David Ring is where he is and Chris Simning is where he is. Because they got to the point in the midst of a very fiery trial in their life where they desperately cried to God and say, God, I need you. I can't live one more day without you, and whatever you're going to say to me about this, I'm going to accept it, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to trust it, I'm going to obey it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to share it, I'm going to do something, but God, whatever you're saying to me, that's it. And I think God poured out his wisdom to those folks, and they have been able to rejoice when they fell into that trial because they knew the testing of their faith was producing endurance. In fact, he goes on in verse 9, 10, and 11, I think in James chapter 1, to basically give us an illustration of the kind of insight and wisdom and understanding that we can have in life. And he, I think he's just giving us a general illustration of how when we live by God's perspective, we realize that earth isn't what it's all about. And that who we are on earth and what we have materially and physically isn't what life is all about. That's not what defines us. It's about my relationship with God and it's about eternity. That's what defines us and that's what God's wisdom can do. That's why in verse 9 he says, Now the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position. There may be some Christians that I'm talking to, James says right now, who when you look at yourself and and you compare yourself with other people around the world, you'd be pretty poor and, and, and you wouldn't have a lot compared to the rest of the world. But I want you to understand that's the only hell you will ever know and you've got to realize you have a high position in God's perspective and in God's plan. You are an heir of Christ, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and you're going to reign with Christ forever and ever one day. So don't allow your low position on earth to affect your outlook on life and on eternity. And then he turns to the rich. And he says, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. For the sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow. The petal of the flower falls off and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. So if if I'm just living for here and now, and in my philosophy of life is eat, drink, and, to marry, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, that's not a person who's living by the wisdom of God, because the wisdom of God is going to tell us there's more, there's more than what we can see. There's more to, to us than what we can see. There's more to what we're going to become than what we can see. And through the eyes of faith and through the wisdom of God, we can look beyond the here and now, and we can look past our difficulties, and we can look past our circumstances. In fact, that's one of the characteristics also of the word endurance or perseverance in the original language, the ability to look past my present struggles and trials and to look beyond what God has for me. 
I'm sure Johnny Erickson taught us. She said it right there. There was a point in my life, I wish God would have taken my life. She could not at that point without Christ be able to see how God was going to put her on a world platform and, and put her up so that she could magnify the grace of God and the power of God to a world of people who have disabilities and those who don't have disabilities. And so she could shout out to the world, you and I can have all the trials and tribulations and afflictions and disabilities we want. They do not define us. God is the one who defines my life. You see, what James is really saying to all of us here about this radical type of Christianity in James chapter 1 is that God does not want my trials, my struggles, my circumstances to define me. God wants the way I respond to those trials to define me. And that's a totally different thing. And God says, here's the way I want you to respond. I want you to consider it all joy. When you fall into various trials because you know the testing of your faith works patience and your faith cannot be destroyed. No wonder then he ends this part of the passage in verse 12 where he says happy or blessed is the one who endures testing. Because when he has proven to be genuine he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. And many read James chapter 1 verse 12 and think he's talking about a future reward. I don't think he's talking about a future reward at all when he talks about the crown of life. I think he's talking about again that life on a whole other level that God wants us to live and is calling us up to. And he's simply saying if we, if we face our trials in life with the right attitude and we allow God to produce this staying power and this strength and this perseverance and this endurance through those trials, we're going to live life on a whole other level than a lot of people are. We're going to be the, the Michael Phelps swimmers in the Christian pool, if you will, instead of the Jeff Royce swimmers in the Christian pool. The crown of life. I think that's what Jesus meant in John 10.10 when he said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the abundant life is not a life free from trial. The abundant life is a life where you and I are strong enough in God to meet all the trials of life and not only to meet them, but allow them to strengthen us even more in order to meet the further trials that are coming that we don't even know about yet. And through those trials, if we rightly face them properly, biblically, they're going to produce endurance. And if we allow endurance and the work that God wants to do in our lives to come full term to where we carry that all the way through, it's going to produce a spiritual maturity and a completeness and wholeness in our spiritual being that we can't get any other way. The whole world talking about Michael Phelps. But Michael Phelps didn't win eight gold medals overnight. Michael Phelps has put in years and years of training. In fact, his coach said the other night, it's the way I've always coached Michael. Ever since I first started coaching him when he was 11 years old, I would work him to the point of exhaustion, and then I would ask him to do some more. And that's why people are like, he'll never be able to win eight gold medals. He, he, can't, 
He can't race 17 races in eight days. He's not going to have that staying power. He's not going to have that stamina that he needs. And the reason why Michael Phelps had the physical stamina and staying power that he did was because when he felt like giving up, his coach pushed him just a little bit more and said, there's more in you than you think. You're stronger than you think you are. You're stronger than you will ever allow yourself to go. So I'm just going to push you just a little bit further to show you how strong you can be. And now the whole world talking about Michael Phelps and his accomplishments. Not putting him down at all. I, I admire what he's done. But folks, just like the Bible says, That's a gold medal. And even gold that is purified and purified eventually wears out. God said to his people, the rewards that you and I are attaining by growing and maturing in our walk with the Lord and by facing trials in a biblical way are producing far more rewards than what a gold medal at the Olympic Games could ever bring us. In fact, I've got another minute. Go over to the book of 1 Peter, just one book over, and I just want to begin in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy He gave us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that is, into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, it is reserved in heaven for you, who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And this brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. Such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold, gold that is even tested by fire, even though it will eventually pass away, and your faith is going to bring praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Wow. James says it. Peter says it. It's said all through the Bible. I want to close, and I apologize for this, by just going back to James chapter 1. Here's what I want to do tonight. I just want to read before we wrap this up tonight. And I have a very special guest who's going to come and share some exciting news with you as we close tonight. These 12 verses just all together. Next week we're going to talk about temptation. Tonight trials. How to face trials. Next week how to face temptation. I know none of us have to deal with that but. From James, a slave of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ of the twelve tribes dispersed abroad, greetings. My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. But if anyone is deficient in wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without reprimand, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, since he is a double-minded individual, unstable in all his ways. God wants to build stability and strength into our life. 
Now, the believer of humble means should take pride in his high position, but the rich person's pride should be in his humiliation because he will pass away like a wildflower in the meadow. For the sun rises with its heat and dries up the meadow, the petal of the flower falls off and its beauty is lost forever. So also the rich person in the midst of his pursuits will wither away. Happy is the one who endures testing because when he has proven to be genuine, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for the insight and understanding and wisdom that you give us into the trials that we face in life. And God, James here is talking about a whole other level for most of us, at least that consistently live on. And that is a level of Christianity and faith where we rejoice when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith is producing endurance. And if we let that endurance have its perfect work in us, we will become spiritually mature. And spiritually whole. God, I pray tonight that every person in this room, that that's the true desire of our heart. That that's what we want to go after. And that, Lord, we're not going to let the trials of life and the circumstances of life define who we are. But we are going to, by your power, allow our attitude as we respond to those trials define who we are. It is our attitude, not our aptitude, that determines our altitude. And God, help us not to continue to pray for an easy life, but help us to pray to be a stronger person. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.